When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on the next What Difference Does It Make podcast with Holly Cantos and Dave Sloan, it's me, big 80s icon and former MTV VJ Mark Goodman. Don't miss that. Here we go. Starring... You'd think I would know how to use Zoom by now. <laughs> Look at you. Okay, he has a way better mic than we do. <laughs> he better. He sounds so much better. <laughs> Come on. It's like you're a professional. Let's go. Step into the 90s. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Are you guys? No, we're stuck in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, okay. We're le- as I tell everyone, we're legally obligated to stay in the 80s. We can't venture out. Fair enough. I, I but, believe me. I, you know, spiritually, so am I. Yeah. I, how much time do we have with you, sir? I have a, a meeting at two, so like five of or so, ten of. We can join you in the meeting. That's fine. Oh, you, yes. you would not want to. Although it might be fun. Actually, we're going to be t- picking our top five for next week. That's a fun thing. To do. Oh, okay. Oh, Ooh. oh, fun. Spoiler alert! Yeah. What do we got yeah. in your top five? Let's go into the now. Talk your top five. We do um, on, uh, you know, I'm on, obviously I'm on big eighties on Sirius XM, Mm -hmm. but we, I'm also on another channel called volume, which is a talk channel about music. It's like (laughs) political radio or sports talk, uh, but about music. And I co-host a live show every afternoon right now it's five to seven. So every Tuesday, top five Tuesday this week, Tim and Faith's anniversary. So because of that, we did top five couples in music. Are there, I'm trying to think of some happy couples that are still together and still, uh, still kicking. Well, who, who do, who I don't do? know if I, it's a spoiler now, cause we didn't do it yesterday. So now I'm going to hold on to it, but I can tell you that one of mine was, was not Sonny and Cher, although first to mind for me on a top five, oh. really? I don't know. but that ended in divorce. Who's to, I guess actually staying and Trudy, they're still together. So that's, a, I, you know what? I didn't even think about Sting and Trudy. What? That's a, that's a really good one. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good one. So I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum and go with Gwen and Blake. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there were, there, was, there were those who were talking about uh, Gwen and Gavin. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, oh, yeah. the classic ones are the ones that ended divorce. I mean, Cher and Greg Allman, that's a classic uh, get together right there as well. well <laughs> what I what I was thinking about doing was Cher and Gene Simmons, Cher and, <laughs> and Sonny, Cher and um, <laughs> Greg Allman, yeah. right? Cher and whoever she's with now, if she's is she with oh, anybody now. Bagel Boy. Remember Cher and Bagel Boy? Oh, Bagel Boy. Right. I knew there was one just like a person who wasn't famous or anything right. she was with. I was going to do those. I opted out of that. Uh, I know what my number five was. Okay. Um, and this, this would be, um, let me think here. Is it, well, this would be one of two that are not still together on, on my list. My number five was 
Sid and Nancy. Oh, very good. Whatever happened to those kids, those crazy kids. Whatever happened to them. They were so cute. They were adorable. How about James Taylor and Carly Simon? How about them? Oh, that, that, there you go. How about them? Wow. I want to play make it either. Oh, I was going to say, I want to play poker with you because it seems like that's, that's on the list (laughs) by your reaction. Mostly I have people who are, are together who are or, or stayed together, but I had to, I'll just tell you like my, cause I, who knows when, when we're going to do this one, but my favorite, you know, couple that is not together, but musically one of my favorite uh, collaborations is Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm just a major, major fan of them. I was a fan of theirs when they were a duo. So they were my number one. Actually, you could probably do top five of all Fleetwood Mac relationships. All within the band. (laughs) That's a whole other ball of wax. Okay, we're not here to talk about top five rock couples. We're here to talk to Mark Goodman. I looked up this guy on um, IMDb, and the first sentence, uh, besides his birth date, which I now have, it says that he is known for his work. This is the first sentence. He is known for his work on Police Academy 6, City Under Siege, where he played businessman number two. So, of course, we are talking about... Mark Goodman. Hey, I know. Everybody Welcome. Remembers me for that role. <laughs> Welcome business and number two. <laughs> Thanks for yeah, having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. You'll We're be happy, so happy to, to have you. Yeah. You'll be happy to know he's not even sitting on a, he never sits on a chair. I think he's always sitting on like a, a desk or something because that's what he did at, at MTV. I never saw him sit in a chair. He's always like, oh, I'm so cool. I'm sitting on a desk. I'm, you know, we legs were breaking folded. breaking all the rules, you know. That's right. That's what it was. It was breaking the rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's go back to your WMMR days. What were you listening to back then? Disco. Yeah. Okay. Really? I yeah. really love dance music. I still, I, I love EDM to this day. Um, I look, I was working at a rock and roll station. It was kind of strange. And Steve Dahl was in Chicago doing, uh, you know, death to disco day and burning piles of disco records and stuff. But I was, you know, I'd play great rock and roll at, at WMMR. And, and then, you know, I go out, I went to see plenty of concerts, plenty of rock and roll shows for sure. But I love that, the, the dance music too. I, you know, I, I listened to the stuff that was happening that day. I uh, in that day, I I happened to really like what was happening in punk. I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of the Sex Pistols, but I understood it. I didn't think that we should be playing the Pistols uh, on MMR at the time because we were very much into you know being that sort of corporate rock station, and you know we were carrying a certain flag. But ACDC also ha- really started to happen around that time, 76, 77, yeah. you know, um, and that was and they're back. what we needed. They're back yeah. again. They, New song. I can't even believe yes! that. With the band, with Phil Rudd on drums, and that's just the way we want it. <laughs> so glad he got out of jail. Yeah, I know. So nice to see him back. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, exciting. it's all right. Yeah, it is all right. I love it. We love talking about, like, first album purchases, um, you know, first concerts. What what were you into as a kid? Like, you know, 11, 12. When did you first discover the music that you started to get into? Well, being born in, in 1995. Uh, and, <laughs> and also, wait, what? <laughs> 80, 80, 87. I, I have the paperwork here, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's put it this way. I mean, I remember, I I remember seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and that was a game changer moment Mm. for me. So, um, but 
in, in those days, and I was, I don't know, I was probably 10 or 11 or something like that when, when they were on, I don't remember exactly, but I know that with pretty shortly after that, me and my friends really got into soul music, Motown, mm. uh, what was coming out of Memphis. I was, I saw Otis Redding. I saw James Brown, you know, I, I was living in Philadelphia. So all that sounds of Philadelphia, you know, the stylistics and the intruders and all of that stuff. That's where I grew up listening to. That's the radio that I was listening to in the, in the early and mid sixties, you know, James and Bobby purify and obviously Smokey and the temps and all of that stuff. Um, that was really my, music and I started to to sort of go to the dark side uh, and and listen to more rock and roll towards the latter part of the 60s sometime around creamed Israeli gears which was I guess 767 ish did you um, did you have a radio station back then to discover this stuff? No. Yeah. In my bedroom. <laughs> well okay so this was this just word of mouth was it friends like how'd you find How'd you find cream? Oh, you know, I, well, in Philadelphia, I mean, Philly. I, I gotta say, Philly was a great, great music town. Um, it, it it just was open to to new music and to new artists and to new forms. It was, you know, there was WNEW in, in New York and W and KSAN in San Francisco. They were the first pro, quote unquote progressive stations, mm-hmm. and WMMR was part of that chain, that company. Mm. But before, you know, the soul stuff, I was listening to AM radio. It was WDAS AM and WHAT AM. And I used to cut school when I was in junior high and and go on. Georgie Woods, who was a DJ on WHAT, also had a dance show on UHF, (laughs) Channel 17. (laughs) Nice. It was 17 Canteen. And I used to cut school and go on that show and dance. And did you... Um, that's where I was finding, find a lot of stuff. And then it was, you know, underground radio, um, that that came up in, in Philadelphia, WDAS FM and WMMR, which was, except for four hours of the day was a classical music station and 10 to two at night, they played rock music. And that's where I started to really get turned on to stuff. Wasn't bandstand in Philly originally? Was that, was it still, was it still during in the sixties? It was Yeah. Well, yeah, they, I forget exactly when they went to California, but yeah, they, and they were in a, you know, the, the arena, which was this crappy, you know, hall on market street. And in fact, years later I went and saw like wrestling matches there, but yeah, the American bandstand huge. But so was, you know, we had a lot, there was stuff like in, in Atlantic city. What was it? I can't, I can't even remember the guy's names, but they, they had, you know, dance shows that came to you on TV from the Steel Pier in Atlantic City. Uh, and they would have, you know, bands on, like like uh, Bandstand did, they'd have bands on lip syncing to their, their current yeah. songs and stuff. So, yeah, it was, it, it, Philly was a great, great music town. It really was. I'm glad I got to grow up there. Did you ever dance on any of those shows? Bandstand, no. Um, <laughs> that one, I was a little young for what their their heyday in, in town. And I think that they were gone, but by certainly by, I wasn't into dancing in like 67, 68, 69, you know, when I started to get into the psychedelic stuff and, and you know, blues rock and stuff like that. So I wasn't quite the dancer. That took a little while. <laughs> Apparently from your book, there were other, other influences that were, that stopped you from dancing. Apparently like uh, you had a side business that was kind of slowing down your movements. <laughs> Man, how, uh, sped it up actually. Oh, how sped it up. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have never taken any of those. So I've, yeah. Uh, 
yeah. Stern, man. Stern read the book. He had us on when the book came out, and he was fascinated by the fact that that I was a drug dealer. My yes. my chin literally <laughs> dropped. Like, oh my, this can't be this guy. You were so matter of fact about it, right? Told, like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, it doesn't at this point. I don't know. I guess seeing the way that people reacted to it later on, even in the 70s and, and stuff. And I, I got long away from that stuff. But I guess it was a little crazier than I imagined it at the moment. Um, <laughs> sure. What do you know? You're just a kid. You're just Oh, everyone's just, doing it. I, All the cool I kids are taking buy more records. I wanted to have a better stereo hey, system. You know, it's I, a business. Uh, it's, a, it's a business venture. <laughs> So yeah, it was me and a friend of mine and we got, we got into the business and it, and it worked out great. Well, not just a business. Yeah. 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 So it was a natural movement to, Oh, well, if I can't do the same more, let's go to radio because that, you know, perhaps that, uh, that's a cleaner I, business best, maybe uh, in the, I'm, I'm in the early seven. That thank God radio existed because I really, I have no discernible skills. So I have no <laughs> idea what the hell I would have done. So how did you fall into radio? What was your first, uh, what was your first gig? The fir very first gig that I had, I, I interned at two stations simultaneously in Philly when I went to Temple University. And one of them was an AM station, WFIL. It was a top 40 station. And uh, I was there during the day and it was the very, so it was like 75. And I was there during the day doing what has now come to be called phone, uh, phone out research. I was tasked with playing little snippets of songs to listeners and getting their, their reactions and, you know, that kind of thing. And they bought the radio station that was owned by the Philadelphia Bulletin, the biggest newspaper in Philadelphia. And they turned it into um, this really weird, interesting hybrid of uh, adult contemporary so that we played, you know, sort of, you know, Beth and, and from Kiss. And, and But we also played like Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett and, and stuff like that. And it was it was some country stuff we worked in there. So that was my first gig Friday and Saturday overnight, midnight to six. That's the best gig. My first gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Saturday night one, pretty soon after I got that gig, I got another one in uh, Allentown, which is about an hour north of Philadelphia, uh, an AM station, but it was a free form AM station. And I started doing a, uh, afternoon drive there. I was on two to six there. So I would stay up there a couple of days a week and then drive to Philly on Friday after doing that show on Friday right. and go on at midnight on Friday night into Saturday morning and then sleep all day Saturday and then go in at midnight on Saturday night. That shift was, that was a tough one. I was on midnight to four. And then at four, I had to run religious tapes. So the first one was an hour, four to five. And that was tough like to make it through that hour, just sitting there doing nothing. And then there were two 30 minute tapes. And one morning, I'll never forget the guy who was coming on after me at 6 a.m. Sunday morning, walking into the studio. And there I am with my head on the desk <laughs> asleep. Of course. And he was like, I was driving in. I haven't heard anything on the air for the last half hour. <laughs> What's going on? Whoops. You know, the first first 30 minutes ran out and I didn't notice. So yeah, that, those, that's what my first gig was like. I can't believe I continued. Do you still have those nightmares? Because that, that seems like every jock has that, like waking up for in the middle sure. of the night. It's so funny that yeah. you say that. You know about that? You yeah. know about these crazy nightmares? Yeah. I do still have those, those stress dreams. <laughs> There's, I have, and, and I literally have had them within the last 
bunch of weeks, literally mm-hmm. that, and it's weird because this technology is not existent anymore, but I have dreams of either not, you know, my record that's on the air is running out and it's, 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 it's fading and it's fading and it's fading and I can't get the next record queued up. I can't queue it up and get it on the, t- and it's fading and I can't get it and it's fading or it's fading and it's fading and I can't find the next record that I want to play and it's fading and it just goes on and on and on and it's horrible nightmare. But I guess I'm progressing because I literally have just had a phone call, a, a nightmare phone about phone calls and how I was on the air on my live show and no one was calling. <laughs> like, have, like having a party and no one showing yeah. up. No, oh, yeah. just awful. Just awful. We're having some fun digging into Mark Goodman's neuroses. We promise we will be right back. Told you we'd be back. Here we are. Welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast with Mark Goodman. I just want to ask you a question because you mentioned Freeform. One of your gigs was, a, was at yeah. a Freeform station. And I have always wondered this, and I wondered this about Jim Ladd also, how My you buddy. go. Yeah, we love Jim Ladd. Big, yeah. big fans. How you go from, from Freeform to the corporate environment and being a little bit more boxed in. Yeah, it was... Uh... It was a radical change. MMR, when I started at MMR, it was freeform. Um, I was hired by the guy who founded the freeform format at MMR in Philadelphia. He just passed away a few months ago, uh, Jerry Stevens. And so for the first, whatever it was, year, I guess that I was there, it was freeform. Then Jeff Pollack came in. Jeff, who is now a major, I guess he's a a, a consultant, but he has branched out out of radio, I think, into television and movies and stuff. But he came in, this was uh, his, his first gig after leaving a big radio chain. And we were going up against WYSP in Philadelphia, which was the Superstars format, the Beatles, the Who, Led Zeppelin, the Stones. Done. That's all you (laughs) play. (laughs) So we went up against them and man, he locked it down. And I, I happened to be on vacation when he took over and I literally came back to the studio and like two thirds of the library was gone from the air studio. And I went on the air and I was like, wow, I'm so glad to get back from vacation. Uh, a lot of records missing from the studio. I'm not sure what's happening here. And Jeff was out to dinner with Meg Griffin yeah. Who, uh, I'm not sure if you guys know Meg Griffin. She's pretty much a legend in, in New York radio yeah. and almost was an original MTV VJ. Yeah. And Jeff was out with her to, to dinner. And Meg told me later that he was listening to, while they were at dinner. And I said that and he goes, I'm, I'm going to fire that guy. <laughs> so, he didn't, as it turns out. But yeah. Well, okay. So for some people, or, explain freeform radio. Explain like what was your shift like? Uh, you know, four hours, what did you get to do f- during your free form shift? It was really about crafting. It, it wasn't about hit song, hit song, hit song, or familiar song, familiar song, familiar song. It was about creating a mood. So I would think in terms of 30 minute blocks or 60 minute blocks. And all of my time off the air was spent thinking about segues. 
You know, what sounds good mm-hmm. going from one to the next? Where, what kind of a journey can we craft? Or, or just what, you know, what's going to sound cool together? And that's what it was about. And it, man, it's, it was hard, but it was, it was why I got into radio. Mm-hmm. It's like art. It's yeah, for sure. You, know, t- you mentioned Jim Ladd. Yeah. Jim is still doing yeah. it. I work with him at Sirius XM. God bless that man. He is still doing freeform radio. The only other person who has been able to maintain it to some degree is Meg Griffin. She also is still on Sirius XM, but on one of our satellite and on one of our internet channels, and she's still doing it on Disorder. But I don't know anybody else. Oh. Nice. It is still fun to listen to that gets a little when you're when you get used to listening to corporate radio, it gets a little out there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's hard to determine now if it, it, it for years and years after the death of Freeform, I thought people would still want this. People would still be interested. Now I, I just I just don't know. I, I mean, on the one hand, I think, yeah, I think they really would love it because what is you know, Spotify, just anything you want in any order you want at any time. Yeah. And so you think, well, that would mean maybe people are more open to hearing new music. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, The loft was kind of a free form format for a while. They kind of put it out. It's on the internet now. It's not on their, their main, you know, channels spectrum. Um, that was, you know, the, the people who run Sirius XM, uh, the radio people who are uh, involved, uh, this is lo- after Mel Carmazin, who was our GM for, for quite a while. After that, you know, the people involved in, in the programming aspects are, are old school radio people. So they really have that sort of sensibility, a hit, hit sensibility to a great extent and, and a rotation sensibility on every one of the channels, whether it's the Broadway channel or, you know, lithium, yeah. it doesn't matter. And so it's kind of a different uh, a different philosophy there. And I think that that's why they moved the loft. I mean, it's still available. It's, yeah. it's questionable. I don't know how it's so weird to, to think about how people listen right. these days. You know, I don't, I don't know what's, I can't even predict what, what it is that's, that's on their minds. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think there is any average listener. Is that what you're, you're saying? What people are, you know, what they gravitate to or how they listen? I mean, yeah, pop music is more popular now than ever. Obviously, hip hop, as as which is blended into pop now, yeah. is the most popular music form. It's the most influential music form. It used to be rock. Yeah. You know, those people on the one hand, they they want to hear Camila Cabello, and they you know they want to hear something new from Rihanna and get off the Fenty thing and give us some new music. So in one, on the one hand, I think, yeah, they are open to new stuff because there was a moment when Rihanna was, was brand new and she yeah. blew up. I don't know. I mean, I, we do things on my, on the volume channel uh, that, that we try and sort of test the waters. We do a song of the day every day. We do mu- new music Friday. Uh, we've started doing this battle where my co-host uh, Alan light, who is a great music journalist and, and author, we each pick a song play it in full, which we're not allowed to do on that channel, except rarely because it's a money issue, you know, publishing. Mm -hmm. But uh, so we do that and battle it out and see what people think about the various songs. And we are often surprised at the responses. Um, I I can't predict. Who knows? Okay, so let's go back, back to the first days of MTV, because that was what everybody wanted to hear, apparently. That's what we were all waiting for. Was that your thinking Mm -hmm. like this? People are going to just love this so much. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. And, uh, you know, I, but not not as much as I would have imagined. Um, I did, who knew that it was going to become a cultural icon? I had no idea about that. But when, you know, I 
I forget if this is in the book or not, but literally within a month of my getting hired uh, and I was hired a few months before we launched, I wrote a four page memo because I had, I had been a programmer, you know, I was yeah. a music director. I mean, I had been working at PLJ in New York. I wasn't the music director there, but you know, I had my take on programming, <laughs> I wrote this memo about who our audience was and what, what they would like and this and that. I quit PLJ, the number one rock and roll station in New York to go to this who knew what it was going to be cable station, um, t- cable TV station playing videos. I figured pff, it's going to be around it. You know, how bad going to be? It's people mm. watching videos. I knew videos. I was going to host a video show in Philadelphia before I moved up to New York. So I, you know, I thought, yeah, that's, I was looking for the new underground. Where's the next underground coming from? And I figured, well, that, yeah, that's probably a good place. I was done with no offense to anybody. I was done with meatloaf. I was done with Boston. I was done with that stuff. We fine. Now let's do something else. And just by default, as I'm sure, you know, I mean, the reason that we were so progressive was because we didn't have any freaking videos. (laughs) And we know only, now. Right now, you know, and although, we had, you know, it was just the Brits who although allows, were yeah. well-schooled in video that, that were doing it. So that's what we played mostly. It was all Rod Stewart all the time, though. Yeah. <laughs> we played Rod Stewart like mad. We had like <laughs> nine Rod Stewart videos and in a total of like 300 videos. So we saw a lot of Rod Stewart. We played a lot. Andrew Gold. Very yeah. big in the early days, Andrew Gold. But we also had, you know, like um, the producers. And, <laughs> you know, we had um, Robin Lane and the Chartbusters. Yeah. <laughs> and these are, we, there's like four people listening right now who are going, oh, I think I remember them. We actually yeah. did, a, we did an episode on like the first 25 songs that MTV played. And it was like, do you ah. remember this song? Do you remember this this thing? Oh, look, yeah. here's Rod Stewart again. Oh, another Pat Benatar. Okay. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> it's past the muggles, not the public doesn't necessarily remember. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. I, I've used that at, at gigs as, as a trivia question. What was the second song that MTV played? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> That's good. I can't, I, can't, and, I can't go past number two. I, I don't know what the third one was. You know, no idea. I do know the first two now. I, yeah, I'm kicking myself because I was about to print out the, the list. I don't have that with me. Right? <laughs> can, you, can you tell us number two? Because I can't remember, oh. even though we... You Better Run, Pat Benatar. First Joe song. Aldo is quick to point out that that song, coming second on MTV, that song was the first rock song played and the first guitar heard on MTV, his guitar. Yeah. That's he true. made a point of, of letting me know that. <laughs> and who's that isn't his only claim to fame. <laughs> well, yeah, he's got a couple other things. So looking back, it's obvious that uh, vi- the Buggles video killed the mu- video killed video the killed radio, radio star. star. Yeah. Oh my god, I, it's, yeah. this is why I wasn't on MTV. It's obvious that that should have been the first song. But who came up with that idea? Like, like this. This uh, is it of the song. I yeah. think it was Pittman. Okay. Pittman did it. Bob Pittman. I understand, um, which I was impressed because he was a a top 40 programmer and that song was a couple of years old and it tanked. Mm -hmm. Tanked big time. I mean, the Buggles, I was still, when it came out, I was still in Philadelphia. We didn't play that record. Yeah. Just like the Buggles. We didn't play Duran Duran either. Can you name the first song played on VH1? Mm. Yeah. No. It was uh, Marvin Gaye's Star Spangled Banner. Really? From the All-Star game. Yeah, from the NBA All-Star game. I only vaguely remember some of the, like, I guess Don Imus was was a VJ on there, wasn't he, for a little bit? he I, People couldn't go couldn't near be. his little closet where he recorded, from what I remember. Is that right? He was so feisty, nobody wanted to go near him. 
remember that. Well, wow. well what, were your, what were and, your what were your okay Rosie Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, that's right. One of, one of the VJs. Yeah. <laughs> so wh what were your sessions like? This was your was this your first time on TV? Did you? Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Did you have any guidelines, or they just said, "Look, here's the red light. Look at the. Make sure you're looking at the red light." Or I didn't even say that. Okay. It was like the, there's the studios at 33rd and 10th. Have yeah. fun. <laughs> that, was, that was it. You know, show up, do it. We were doing. We were going through run-throughs for um, for weeks and weeks before we launched. We were doing um, pre-records, uh, pre-recorded interviews, and things like that before we launched. But nobody knew what a VJ was. Nobody knew what a VJ was supposed to do. And we all were just trying to figure it out. You know, the funny thing, when I look at, at the tapes from like the first couple of months, it looks, the set looks bare. I mean, it was mm -hmm. supposed to look like some loft where the five of us lived. You know, like, like the monkeys, monkeys or, something. or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I look at it now and it was barren. I mean, there was like a bike leaned up against the wall and that was it. And over time, we we gussied it up quite a bit and and put a lot a lot more stuff in there, made it a little more sort of homey. I noticed once we came on in Manhattan, which was a year into us broadcasting, we weren't on in Manhattan, so the the five of us weren't able to watch MTV for the first year. Uh, people in New Jersey and on Long Island and all around mm -hmm. us were were seeing it, so we didn't. It's hard to imagine if you're just doing the wraparounds. You know, we didn't see the videos. We were just doing our yeah. segments. And I, once it came on, I kind of noticed that it felt like everything came to a screeching halt for our segments because you come out of these videos that were there was all kinds of stuff going on and explosions <laughs> and actors and makeup and lighting and slow motion and there we were. And so <laughs> I came up with the idea of moving it some in some way when they when they came to me in the studio. And I did that for a while. And some of the others, I think, started to, to do it as well. And then I started to notice, well, crap, it looks like we're running all over the set. What's, what's, <laughs> what am I running all over the place for? So we that was just one of the things that we tried to figure out. You know, how do we how do we make our segments interesting enough? How do we integrate into into the the hour how do we you know how do we relate to the audience and it was i was used to relating to a microphone i had to learn to to relate to a camera and it's it's different it is different i look at some of those old old ones i'm like open your eyes no yeah right. everybody thought i was high all the time and i was never ever once high on the air on mtv ever <laughs> really Never. What? I couldn't. I couldn't. That is not the Mark Goodman that uh, you portrayed in your book. <laughs> well, I, I never. I, I never said I was high on the air. Not, <laughs> okay. not, not, not that I was never high. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it was the off hours, and 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 the book really put it in context. It was really you know. We were probably, Dave and I were probably the average MTV viewer, although we might have known a little more and maybe been a little more into music. But yeah. to hear to hear you guys describe it, the segments were so short. You know, we're picturing you, like you said, it was said in the book how you didn't have the videos. Nobody was able to watch the videos. So you were just coming, coming in and out of the videos, as you said. We're assuming you're there and you're watching the whole thing right. and you're right there, you know, you're right there with us. But you, the, the way you guys all described your segments as being so short, like you could get through a shift in, you know, in less than an hour. Right. You know, right. that was really, that mm -hmm. was eye opening, you know, because that wasn't at all how we saw it. Right. That And that was the difficulty. And the first time for me and for JJ, who had also come from radio, mm -hmm. the first time that we, we kind of had to act really. Mm -hmm. 
You know, if you're coming out of like this great rocket video, you got to be up just like you would be on the radio if you were coming out of that song. Yeah. And it's not, you know, what we're coming out of is basically dead silence and a couple of cameramen staring at you and a stage manager, you know? (laughs) So we really had to amp it up to make it sort of work. It's weird. Well, you did good. We never would have known. There you go. (laughs) Do you remember the, I mean, you probably do the first time someone stopped you on the street and said, you're, I know who you are. Usually you remember the first time. I I, I do. It took a while. Like I said, we were the weirdest thing because MTV started to blow up really quickly in other parts of the country. Um, Cheyenne, Wyoming. I I did an appearance there within the first six months. And I literally, I was in in the car. They were taking me to this record store where I was going to make an appearance. And they come around the corner in Cheyenne. And there's like a thousand people uh, (laughs) over there. And I'm like, wow, who's here? (laughs) The driver goes, you are. (laughs) I'm like, what? Um, It was, yeah, I mean, it was freaking weird yeah. uh, to do that. Well, I'm sorry. What was your question? <laughs> Just a little, how, <laughs> oh, early, how, early how much they love you. Early <laughs> days being recognized. The best one though, we, uh, we had to, to take cabs to the office, just hail cabs. We were all in New York and our studio was in New York and I was late for the studio one day and I came running out of my apartment and I hailed a cab really quickly. And I jumped in and I said, really quick, I'm kind of late. Can you get down to 33rd and 10th? And the cab driver looks in the mirror and then he turns around and he goes, Hey, Mark, don't worry. If you're late, they'll just play Thriller one more time. <laughs> you know, we were showing this, you know, 15-minute Thriller mm-hmm. thing, yeah. you know. And that was when it really started to, to hit me. Yeah. Um, we, we, we would, like, for the first year, we, nobody knew us in Manhattan. And then we'd go to New Jersey, to concerts in New Jersey, and we'd be mobbed. We're on Long Island. Right. be mobbed. It was, it was a strange it's pocket. Yeah. Strange it was moment. like radio. Yeah. You were, you were the jock in Cheyenne or, you know, Fort Lee, yeah. you know, they just, they knew yeah. you in just those, that little area for a time. Yeah. That's, that, that's the other thing. The national celebrity was something else too. Yeah. But that kind of leads to the, I want my MTV campaign. Uh-huh. And how markets jumped onto that, how people were actually calling to say, I want my MTV Really, really smart. That was a good I one. Thought. Yeah. I, I always loved that campaign. I mean, I, I don't know how, well, if you, if you saw the docs or read, read the book, you know, Dale Pond, who was the, I want my Maypo guy, <laughs> Maypo, the, the child's <laughs> cereal, the hot cereal. He was the guy who came up with that. Mm-hmm. And he just swapped out Maypo for MTV. And the rest is rock yeah, history. The re- the re- yeah, really? I, yeah. I don't know at the moment how it's going to go over, but. Right. You're able to get, you know, all the, the artists to do it. And that, and that is also, and one of the great things I think in the doc is where, you know, Les Garland, who was really <laughs> the spirit of MTV in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, w- was able to pull in these amazing people like Mick Jagger to, he paid Mick a dollar to, to do yeah. a promo for us. <laughs> That's amazing. And it was kind of like a radio station in that you had these kind of fun contests um, you know, of course, there's the last weekend with Van Halen. Were you any part of yeah. that at all? No, I was not part of that one. Good, good call. And somebody who called, <laughs> who just called me the other night uh, on on my talk show, um, said that he. Had, I haven't seen the doc. There is apparently a documentary on that, which I have not seen. I pulled um, up a, a small YouTube clip of of this guy who won the contest on stage right. in um, I can't remember. oh it was Detroit he's in Detroit and they you know they they present him with a cake and then throw it in his face throw it in his and face. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but I I did some of the other promotions um, I I did um, we 
we had a series of promotions called the MTV One Night Stands, where if you won that, uh, we wherever you were in the country, we would come and pick you up in a Learjet and, and then fly you somewhere else to see a band. You'd go back, meet the band, hang out backstage, and then get back on the plane, and we'd have you back home at like 6 in the morning. <laughs> um, and so I did that one with the Stones in New Orleans, which was, uh, was pretty amazing. Alan Hunter got to do all the good stuff, man. He was the guy who did all the all the um, spring break stuff because he was like the funny VJ, so he got to do that. <laughs> did you was guys stuff actually fun? Was it as fun as it as it Alan? Looked? You know, Alan had a good time, but Alan, like, he also did a muck in America. Do you remember that? Yes, a muck in America. Thirty days on the road with reports, phoning in reports from all over the country, and it it would I wanted to do it. Alan, I was married at the time, but so was Alan. But Alan, literally, his wife had a baby and he left. Um, And that's like down in in spring break things that was still going on. He had a young child and he'd be, you know, with all these bikini babes and everybody getting hammered and all that. And his wife would be at the back of the crowd holding their baby up, (laughs) waving, remember (laughs) you're a daddy. So it was less than than the fun that it could have been, I think, for Alan. Bad timing. (laughs) Yeah. Did you guys all have nicknames or was there, I mean, you know, like... I don't know. Everyone's known that you said Alan Hunter was the fun one and Martha Quinn was the perky one. Who, who was Mark Goodman? We didn't have, um, <laughs> I was, I was the obnoxious one. Oh, okay. Good. Good. <laughs> we, I, I, I used, I, I don't, we didn't have nicknames for each other, except I used to call JJ club man. Because he, that, that man moved from California, moved from LA to mm-hmm. New York to do this, this gig. And he made use, he was a single man and a good looking guy. And he made use of New York city. (laughs) He would often roll into the studio after being out all night. And he was the one who first turned me on to using preparation H under your eyes to get rid of the bags. I read that in the book and I thought, wow, if I had only known that. (laughs) That's hilarious. Hell yeah. That's a lifesaver. That's a thing. <laughs> you have to admire that. You know, you, 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 it's it's like embracing life. Hey, you know, he I was mean, my hero for a lot of things. He was amazing. He was Missing. so great. We we loved listening to him here too when he was on there. We're in in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, I I miss him all the time. The the four of us, you know, we're obviously still in touch and still friends. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's one we haven't really gotten gotten past. Mm -hmm. We really feel bad that he's not around here to like it's the 40th coming up next year. Yeah. You know, I wish wish he would have been around for that one. We really thought that he would be. Huh. Not to end on a bummer note. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, Somehow this happens to us. Right? I know. We, we, we end on the bummer. And, uh, yeah. All right. Was your wife, Carol Miller, on NEW at the time? Were you? Because were you? Re- my wife, Carol Miller, was uh, still on PLJ. Oh, she. Oh, okay. Time. Oh, okay. That's, That's where you met her? Which is where, I mean, she and I sort of flitted around each other. She went to University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and her first radio jobs were on WMMR. Oh, and that was where I first heard her. And yes, yeah, she was, we, we were married. Uh, no, 1980, we weren't married yet, but we were living together and she was still on, uh, on PLJ. Yeah. The description upon meeting her was very sweet. I thought in the book, what did I say? <laughs> you, you just said some very nice, you know, almost like she was a goddess just to, to, yeah, she was a legend really to me. Yeah. 
in Philadelphia, she was, I mean, there were, were it was Allison Steele here in New York and Tom Donahue's wife, uh, Rachel Steele. Oh, Rachel, yeah. Rachel Donahue, as we Rachel know Rachel Donahue, not Steele. Yes. There's another one, Rachel Steele. <laughs> Rachel Donahue, yeah, in, in San Francisco and Carol. Mm-hmm. And she on in Philly, she she was like voted the sexiest woman in Philadelphia and won Philadelphia magazine. And, you know, she was really well known and, and really was she was gorgeous. And I was I was struck mm-hmm. for sure, especially because she knew music inside out. It was great. Yeah, it's very yeah. That, When I lived in New York, that was the first voice I heard was Carol Miller. Um, when I lived it, uh, I heard her on NEW in 87, yeah. I think it was. And I'm like, yeah, oh, here's someone that, that's going to be my good friend. I can tell. <laughs> Um, all right, before we wrap it up, oh my God, I know, right? So one of our sponsors that we did a long time ago was the was for the '80s cruise, and you went on, you did these this '80s cruise in March. We were terrified of the people who were on this cruise. What? Right, I'm pretty badass, right? <laughs> Tell me what, how terrified were you at this and, and everyone? What was the situation like there on a on, on this? We would like a vivid description. Yeah. Well, well, clearly not terrified enough. Yeah. <laughs> I went. Yeah. You know, when we when we left, which was March the 7th. Yeah, we knew about it and there was stuff. <laughs> but and we and there was people talking about cruises and they were going to, you know, probably maybe stop cruises might not be a good. But hey man, it's a big gig for me. Um and I mm-hmm. I wanted to do it and the lineup was great and yeah. I, you know, my wife and I, she, she came with me. She was hesitant, but the cruise line was amazing and promised us, um, there was, there was no masks yet. Social distancing that wasn't in effect yet. So we were just all there. What I did was wash my hands. Like they had people before you walked into a restaurant, there was somebody there with a squirt bottle for you. And they were, you could see them wiping down railings and doorknob. I mean, they really, really worked hard. And I just didn't hug anybody for pictures. I didn't get kissed or kiss. You know, I just kept my, my distance and, and I made it through without getting sick and nobody on the boat got sick. We docked on the 15th, Sunday, the 15th, the 16th, everything went into lockdown. Mm -hmm. And on that day, I started to see on the 80s cruise Facebook page, uh, I just tested positive for for COVID and I'm getting sick. And then two people, then 10, then 50, and even more so amazing that somehow we didn't get sick. And I was hanging out with Terry Nunn from Berlin and she didn't get sick. None none of us got sick as far as I know. I think it was, you know, this cluster of of passengers. Nobody, as far as I know, nobody died. Everybody is okay. And everybody, amazingly, uh, there is no 2021 cruise. Not amazing, maybe. (laughs) Pushed to 2022 and it is nearly sold out. (laughs) Of course. Go figure. But there's still room for you. I know. There you go. I know. We got. We've been. We, yeah, we were discussed at length. Yeah, we were. Hey, we man. were. Yeah, we were pimping that uh, that ride for a while, <laughs> and we're like, "What are we doing? Sending these people on this on this boat?" Yeah, yeah. But I'm, oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that 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 yeah. went well. So we'll look forward to 2022. Yes. Yes. <laughs> look forward you. to one day we're going to see a show live somewhere. In 20, that yeah. was my, and that, those wound up being my last concerts. Yeah, I know. Before the yeah. lockdown. So, you know, it was Berlin and uh, the motels and Taylor Dane and Cool in the Gang. It turns out to be really, you know, mm-hmm. Cool in the Gang. Was pro- that was probably one of their last yeah. gigs. Right. If yeah. not the last gig. Yeah. Right? <sighs> so, 
Ah, yeah. you're depressing me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you're bringing me down. For someone with such a nice smile, I can't believe you <laughs> talking death and disease. What's wrong with you? <laughs> anyway, yeah. this has been uh, it's been a lot of fun here. I, I'm I'm glad you we we had uh, some time with you. This I love it. Thank you so much. This has been so great. Um, and thanks for being flexible with us. All good. <laughs> for All sure. Good. I so yeah, so, it. yeah. So you could hear Mark on uh, Volume. What is it? What were the the times? It's uh, at SiriusXM Volume. It's channel one hundred and six, and I'm on there from four to seven p.m. Eastern live, and on the big eighties uh, mornings mostly seven to ten, and then I do a couple hours in the afternoon at varying times between six and eight. Okay. Evening. Still doing East the spectrum Coast. at all? I have. Do I hear you? Uh, at all? But when when I took the live show on, I I dropped okay. the spectrum and it killed me. Yeah. I mm. adore the spectrum mm-hmm. to this day. I really do. Yeah. I also want to add that that some of the material from Volume Debatable is also on demand. Yes, it is. Yes, it's all on demand. It's yes. all there. Could always Thanks hear for Mark pointing that out, Holly. You're very welcome. She's good Ryan. with that. <laughs> All, all right. right. All right. So thank thank you so much, Mark. We will we'll see you soon. I hope to see you in a club somewhere. I hope so. You know. Me too. Yeah. On a cruise. On a cruise. Yeah. <laughs> on a on a on a cruise or in a club. Either Sh- one. Sharing a drink. I'll take it. Thanks, you guys. All right. We'll Appreciate take care, it. Mark. <laughs> thank you see so you. much. Thanks, Mark. See you around. Cheers. Cheers. Mark Goodman. Very cool. Thank you so much, Mark, for uh, taking the time out to meet with us and talk with us and uh, share some laughs. This is a good uh, send-off, our final interview for this year. Even though we're very happy to end this year, we were uh, very happy that we got uh, the chance to talk with Mark. We had referred to this book. It's called VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave. It's a great read. We also uh, mentioned a documentary that's available on uh, A&E. I believe you can still view that on demand. So uh, check that out. Got some contests going on. I would recommend going to our website, wddimpodcast.com backslash contests and see what we've got going on. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Network family. So until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.